0: Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is.
1: I'm Candace Lepage.
0: Candace, we're here to talk about snow. And. Uh, uh...
1: Yes. (laughs) Ironically, my original viewing of this planned movie was snowed out. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i went the day before the blizzard to make sure i wasn't snowed out because uh i wanted to you know make sure we got the snow before getting the snow if you know what i mean
1: (laughs) i think people get it
0: (laughs) yeah yeah this is uh this this gag did not work out as i hoped but there you go can't all be winners 52 shows in a year moving on end credits is a local movie show for local movie fans we're here every wednesday at 3 p.m to talk to latest in pop culture and review the newest movies which this week will be the new comedy horror cult classic wannabe cocaine bear which you can now see at a theater near you it's been pretty successful in its first couple of weeks in theaters so it's probably still going to be there if you want to check it out tonight or tomorrow or next weekend um, it'll be on VOD next week. I don't know, but probably you never know. Um, but that's going to be in the back half of the show. Now, I don't want to say I called it, but, uh, I did write, uh, one of my space invader newsletters last fall after the trailer for cocaine bear, uh, debuted that, uh, this had cult classic, uh, written all over it. Um, not, not that it's going to be a cult classic, but it definitely wants to be a cult classic written all over it. And uh, I think that's what Cocaine Bear inspires to be. But can you, and maybe Candace can weigh in? Can you really reverse engineer a cult classic? Uh, that was a, that was a legit question to you, yeah.
1: Yeah, and this—that's my legit answer. It's it's <laughs> it's complicated. Uh, I think that you can. Um, and without getting too far into like the back half of of this show, I think um the the trailer for Cocaine Bear, uh, it engineered itself to be a a cult like trailer. um
2: mm-hmm.
1: And I think for sure, like you can make trailers. You can make it like any movie, you can, you know, edit together a trailer to make it look like a ridiculous sort of cult, campy, whatever. Um, so I think you can engineer a trailer to, to be a cult hit. Um, whether or not you can engineer a movie to be, mm. I, I don't think so because to me, and I don't know what how you're defining cult film, but to mm-hmm. me, cult films sort of fall. Th- they need at least, I'd say, two out of the next three of these three sort of things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they need to have been, not successful at the box office, mm-hmm. so, you know, short short run, not a lot of money. Um, they need to be hard to find or have been hard to find or hard to see for, you know, significantly long time, mm-hmm. but yet they still have a really dedicated fan base and those people are able to take this unsuccessful movie that was potentially really hard to find or is really hard to find and make such a a fuss about it that it becomes something that's either easier to find or is played regularly or or something like that
0: Mm -hmm. i think that's that's a pretty good barometer and um to to your point like you can make a trailer out of i mean i've seen somebody take jaws and make a trailer to make jaws look like basically free willy so it's <laughs> you know you can you can it's take the mater- <laughs> yeah, you can take the material and, and and make it look like however you want um but yeah i think i think that is a pretty good measuring stick i, I think the one thing though is that um so, so much of what used to be you know hard to find it's you know there are, there is still things that are hard to find. Like, and you know, a lot of this is like sometimes in rights issues. Like I was watching in search of darkness part three, and there was a, they were talking about one movie from 81, 82, where you can't essentially, you can't get it on streaming or DVD. And I can't remember the name of the movie uh, for the life of me. Not that I'm talking about it, but uh, because it's um, because of rights issues, uh, and it's it's funny enough, I went on eBay to see if I could find a VHS copy of that movie whose name again name escapes me. <laughs> but but I remember like looking at the price, and it's like $74, $109. Um, so I mean there is still real scarcity in this, but at the same time, you know, I've one of my picks um for the call classics is going to do is like you know, it's kind of had a resurgence because they there was like a shout factory re-release of it a couple of years ago, and you have these boutique physical media companies well you have the, the boutique physical media companies like vinegar syndrome and seven and shout and arrow and all that but you also have like the um the free streaming sites like the tubies and yeah. the plexes and the roku channels which are just looking for stuff to put on and and so th- there there is a kind of liveliness that way as well like scarcity isn't kind of what it used to be even though there is still technically scarcity
1: yeah, yeah, I agree the the sort of the the hard to find aspect makes it um I know you were sort of looking for uh for us to sort of break these down by sort of time frames and mm-hmm. and the uh more recent I'm like oh it's so hard like as I'm looking through sort of lists of you know 21st century cults films I'm like these are all like I can watch any one of these movies at mm-hmm. any point in time like mm-hmm. I don't understand how we how we define cult films in this sort of century. And Mm -hmm. then again with Cocaine Bear, Mm -hmm. nobody is going to make a film that purposely bombs at the box office.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. So
1: it's really hard to define what a cult film is today. Like,
0: (laughs) yeah. Well, that is going to make this interesting. And so we have each chosen a pick from one of three eras. And those eras are pre nineteen seventy, anything from the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and then anything made after the year the two thousand or inc- up to and including the year two thousand. So anything from the twenty first century. So let's dig into our cult uh, catalog here. And um, you know, I don't think we need to go in chronological order. So why don't you, Candace to start off with uh, the, whatever era you want and whatever your your pick is? I, I'm I'm opening the door.
1: Sure, sure. Um, and so, uh, it was really hard for me to choose because there were some choices that came to mind right away, but that are shows that I've what I've talked about on here before. Mm-hmm. So things like Cannibal Girls, which is a Canadian exploitation film from the seventies, um, Hudson Hawk, which I think is like is like just fits perfectly into the the cult film status and mm-hmm. is deserving of a resurgence. I chose not to, even though those were my originals. I was like, clearly, these two,
2: but uh, <laughs> I left
1: them off my list, anyways. So, um, and I'm still a little. I don't. I don't know the 21st century one. I might. We'll see. We'll see. I might. <laughs> I might cheat on that one. But I'm going to go in chronological order, just because that's the way I have them here. So, right. uh, pre 70s. Um, God, there's just so many things to choose from. Uh, But what I decided to go with was Little Shop of Horrors, Mm -hmm. which was made in 60, uh, I think 1960, exactly. It's a Roger Corman film. Um, In some ways, you could say everything done by Roger Corman is a cult film. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) And in some ways, you could almost say, yes, yes, you certainly can purposely make a cult film because that's all Roger Corman ever made. But (laughs) um, I think in some ways, he wasn't making cult films so much as he was... I mean, at the time, this was just sort of a a style of of filmmaking that was that was pretty popular. But of all of his films, Little Shop of Horrors is one of the ones that uh, sort of stands out for two reasons. One is that despite the fact that I talked about how um, cult films are typically hard to find,, uh, this film actually, after it finishes theatrical release, Roger Corman decided not to bother copywriting it. <laughs> because he didn't think that it would go anywhere. He didn't think it much would happen with it. And part of the reason why he thought that is because the whole making of this film was kind of a an experiment, sort of a bet type thing. It was filmed in two and a half days using the sets from a film that he had just wrapped. Mm-hmm. He was able to have the sets a little bit longer and they just kind of like whipped something together and filmed it in like no time so the whole thing was just more of a like an art project uh experiment sort of thing to see hey what can we do uh and so he didn't really think there was much there and didn't bother to to copyright it so <laughs> it sort of you know does not obviously have the like hard to find kind of thing but certainly it wasn't successful at the box office and in fact the you know, Roger Corman himself did not think it was going to amount to much, uh, but has a very dedicated fan base as as we know. And um, you know, spawned a lot of things. Um, mm-hmm. not the least of which being Jack Nicholson,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, who had mm-hmm. just a, a wild, wild role in here. A lot of people think of Jack Nicholson more from his like late, late sixties, early seventies sort of stuff, but he was actually Part of of the whole industry before that, and uh, he has a role in Little Shop of Horrors as the sadistic dentist. And he mm-hmm. basically he takes all of uh, sort of his wildest, um, the shining moments, and <laughs> <laughs> brings them to the to the dentist chair instead.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone's got to start somewhere, and uh, he started in the dentist chair. And, uh, that, as they say, is that, uh, yeah, anything Roger Corman, I mean, that man's output has been so incredible, too, that, um, something, something like Little Shop of Horse has to emerge, uh, because it has to be kind of sticky, um, yeah, like something like Death Race 2002, that was, like, one of, like, 12 movies that Roger Corman did in that year, so, um... (laughs) You know, also famously, you know, Stallone in that. And so, yeah, it's it's, you know, sometimes the output is so overwhelming that something has to be truly unique to stand out. Uh, My pick is kind of like that. I'm also going to start in the pre 70s, although it was technically a box office success. It it came very late in the game for this particular genre and this particular, I guess, series, if we're going to call that, uh, the creature from the black lagoon, which came out in 1954, technically like years after the unofficial end of the universal monsters era, which was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. I was kind of like, I don't know if they intended it to be the capstone, but that seemed more or less like, okay, we've gotten to the goofy phase of these monsters (laughs) and, uh, so we're you know, this seems like a good place to end it. Although, of course, um the gill man did end up uh, appearing with Abbott and Costello on TV. So I mean that 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 perhaps pretends like ghastly fate for for the creature, but you know um it comes out in nineteen fifty four and makes three million dollars at the box office, which was a pretty tidy sum. And they mm. ended up people may not know this and this may speak to like the cult classicness of of creature from the black lagoon, at least the specialness of the first one. They came out with two sequels in the two following years, uh, in- including one where they, tr- they capture the creature and try to like civilize him and like make him like a manservant and like in, in, you know, regular society, which is kind of interesting when you kind of see those um, pictures from that movie. Um, but yeah, he comes along. A lot of people think that, you know, Gilman was right in there with Dracula, Frankenstein, the Mummy. I, I think a lot of it has to do with like Monster Squad and Hotel Transylvania, where Gilman is uh very clearly part of the quote unquote gang. Um, but he comes out years after those films, um, and is kind of left hanging. It was kind of like a attempt to like sci-fi sci fi the 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 monsters. And while this was like initially a success, it, it burned off quickly and and speaking of 3d um this was like uh it it was originally shot and released in 3d which seems very fatty um not fatty but fatty as it's in a fad um but it comes out in 3d this is in 1954 it's like the waning days of 3d this is like releasing something in 3d uh well i was gonna say now but they released avatar 2 in 3d but yeah like 1990 or something yeah, something like that, where it's like it's it's over. Um, we're we're still trying to make this a thing. Although, from what I understand, the the underwater scenes in three D were uh, in Creature from Black Lagoon were pretty good, but um, again, it was a success, but it just seemed like it was also doomed to fail. It it seemed very um marketable. It, it seemed very like directed to like we're gonna try and get this um this groove back with these monster serials now we have a sci-fi edge this is about like finding this monster in the the amazon swamp and we have a a crew of scientists and one lady who t- to the credit of the film is also a scientist mm-hmm. um but you know it, it's it's trying to capitalize on the past success of the thing and again it was a success in its own way but it very quickly went away and i think it's to the credit of the the original filmmakers that creature from the Black Lagoon ended up standing on its own. I think it took a while and just because of, you know, appearances on TV and rerunning the movie and it just kind of quite accidentally kind of gets lumped in with those other earlier monster movies, even though it's made 20, 20 years after the boom of Dracula and Frankenstein and jekyll and hyde and all of those it's its just like kind of purely coincidental um that that a uh, gill man kind of got wrapped up in those so it's a happy accident to be sure um but i i do think we underestimate how just naturalistic and how through just like cult fascination that Gilman ended up being one of the marquee players in uh, the the "Quote unquote monster universe." Uh, he he got there quite accidentally, and I think that's because of a, a cult following.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, that film is fantastic, and the I mean, underwater stuff—it's just it's great, mind-blowing yeah. to see it and realize like this was filmed so long ago. Like, did they, how did they even have the technology to do this? Mm-hmm. And then I think, despite. At the time, there were a lot of sort of B creature features, and mm-hmm. this movie really doesn't fall into that. Like it's a no. it's a pretty serious movie, yeah. um, and so yeah, I can under- I can definitely understand how you would you would qualify it as a as a cult film because it's just so sort of outside <laughs> of its own time.
0: There's full-on conversations between characters who are like like one's clearly a naturalist and the other one's like, no, we have to take him back and dissect him. And it's like, well, no, shouldn't we leave him in his natural habitat? Which you'd think in like 1954, that would be a little I mean, hippies weren't invented yet, but you know, that was <laughs> that would be a little hippie dippy even for like the early fifties audience anyway. Uh, let's get to your number two pick then.
1: Okay, so this one, mm-hmm. this one is a hard to find. Like this is such a cult film. That there are people who probably, like, there are lots of people who have never even heard of this. Mm -hmm. So there's a movie. It's a Canadian film called Big Meat Eater Mm -hmm. from 1982. I found out about it from a friend, and I was like, I've got to look into this. I just happened to be searching um, at the right time and uh, whatever it's called, Hollywood Suite, which Mm -hmm. is a, a sort of a package you can add on to your prime. And I think they, you know, have packages you can add on to other things was airing it for a few months and so I watched it and it was incredible you can't watch it streaming anywhere uh, <laughs> if you want to buy a DVD it's like 80 or 90 dollars to find a copy of it this is so hard to find and it's just the weirdest wildest sort of thing um so uh, it it is sort of like cult campy sort of uh so i'm pretty sure it's two movies that Mm -hmm. they made and just like we don't we can't finish either of these so let's just like put them all together it's a musical (laughs) um (laughs) there's a a butcher in a small town in uh bc called burquitlam which is a fake a fake town (laughs) Mm -hmm. but uh there's so there's this whole I don't know, um, conspiracy going on with with the mayor and the town. Um, and then there's this uh, guy named Abdullah. He's the big meat eater.
0: He's the He's titular just... big meat eater.
1: Yes, yeah. He is a very, very large, hulking black man um, who doesn't really speak English. Um, and uh, he also... Yeah, he he helps out in the butcher shop and it's just bizarre, very bizarre. And then um as you're just sort of like getting into this and going, okay, I'm not really sure what's going on, but okay, there's you know, this guy who's like killing people and eating them and uh this guy who's got some sort of like weird thing going on with the mayor and then suddenly there's a family of um uh very Eastern European new Canadians Mm -hmm. um, who have so many stereotypes. Uh, Their accents are hilarious. Uh, And then they have their two kids who are sort of first-generation Canadians and who are pressing against the like old ways. And they're like, come on, it's the 50s. And we're supposed to, you know, be hanging out and doing whatever. Because even though it's in the 80s, it's set like in in the past – and the oldest son is a scientist, uh, and what's hilarious is I'm pretty sure the oldest son, the actor, is actually older than the guy playing his father. Mm-hmm. Even looking at their faces, I'm like, this guy is clearly older than that guy, but they've powdered <laughs> the other guy's hair, so he's the dad. It's uh, it's fantastic. Um, and this uh, first-generation Canadian son of two Eastern European parents has a British accent. Yeah, who who knows why? Because he was a British person playing this. And he's a scientist. And he discovers that there's a UFO coming and aliens. And the UFO um, is the cheapest potential way you can show a UFO on camera. I think it's even cheaper than Plan 9 from outer space. (laughs) Everything about this movie is just, it's incredible. It unfolds. You want more of it. It's a musical. It's a damn musical. Um, I wish everybody could see it, but I don't know how you're going to see it. So, uh, you know, yeah. join the cult, cult fandom of it, and uh, <laughs> keep demanding us getting some sort of release of this, or you know, asking for it to come back to Hollywood Suite or some other type of.
0: Yeah, some weird. Yeah, some weird stuff turns up on Hollywood Suite every now and then. Um, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. Uh, my my pick for seventies to nineties is a little easier to find because you can um, find it on VOD. Um, uh, it's from nineteen seventy six. It's called the town that dreaded sundown. Oh yeah, and it's a it's this bizarre little artifact because it's almost technically a slasher movie, but it's also a kind of police procedural and a docudrama because there's this voiceover narration that is uh, giving you background details um almost like something out of dragnet um so it comes out in 76 which is between black christmas and halloween literally between and there are a lot of slasher film elements it's not as kind of gory as i don't you know not i don't think either of those films are terribly gory but you know there's not a lot in terms of blood or seeing you know knives stabbing and and things like that but revisiting it uh last weekend it's just there is a lot those those chase scenes with the phantom killer um you know chasing his victims are super tense um they're they're dark but you you can still see what's happening which is like (laughs) it's amazing that in 1970s we managed to find the right balance between showing darkness and being able to show action as well but um you know there's these chases through the woods um these uh, even the first like the very first kill which um is on this killer who stalks couples on a lover's lane and there's this one couple in the car and then they notice the hood's up on the car and the hood slams down and then there's like this guy with a sack over his head and it zooms in on him And the and the the score kicks in and the guy's trying to start the car and you realize that's why the hood was up. He was messing with the car. And oh, it's uh, it's there's some real genuine tension in all of this. Um, You know, he's breaking car windows and pulling people out and chasing people across fields, like sneaking up to houses and shooting people through the window and then chasing a woman through the woods until she emerges at her neighbor's house. And she's all filthy and dirty and passes out on the lawn. Oh, I'm, you know, it's, it's intense, and then, I mean, in between it too, you get a lot of this like jokey, cop stuff, which is bizarre,
1: (laughs) weird, (laughs) sort of, jokey cop stuff, but yeah, (laughs) including a whole
0: sequence where some cops go undercover and drag, uh, posing as couples, I guess to lay a trap for the phantom killer, which is played for, some borderline inappropriate laughs, but. yeah, the stuff involving the killer, like a lot of like the the chase at the end where the cops think they have him cornered, and uh, there's a whole thing with a train. Uh, boy, is all that stuff well executed? It, it is. It is really a treat. Um, how how what just and and the interesting fact of it as well is that it's mixing drama. It's it or mixing genres. It's docu drama. It's serious. It's thriller. It's slasher. It's police show. Um, all of that stuff. It, it, it It's doing so much. And it's just this. And they, they literally shot it on the scene of the actual phantom killer killings in Texarkana, Texas, which is along the Arkansas, Texas border. So, you know, they were doing this real life thing. Or based on real life thing in the real life places and, and kind of making it look like a documentary. And of course it's meta too, because it ends with people lining up to watch the, the movie, the town that dreaded sundown and basically implying that the phantom killer uh, went to opening night. So um, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's so much going on. Um, you know, we we talk about, you know, Scream being meta. Well, this was kind of doing meta long, 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 long before Scream. And uh, it's still good. And uh, I don't know who cleaned up the print. Uh, I watched it on Cineplex. Um, but it was, a, it was a really nice print of the film. It looked really, really good. So somebody's taking good care of the negatives, at least.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All
0: uh, right. All right. Let's get to the okay. 2000s.
1: So this one... Um... I will. I I cheated on this, um, mm-hmm. and I'll make an argument that
2: <laughs> while the film
1: came out in 1995, um, it it took until the 2000s for it to kind of reach that cult status, and and suddenly
0: oh, I think I know something. what I think I know what it is. But go well, ahead. I don't.
1: I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so, uh, uh, and mostly this is because I didn't want to have to talk about Terrifier two again. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh. Trying, trying, to, trying to not, you know, cover things I've already covered extensively on this show. All right. So the last one for the uh, late 90s, it just ushered in the 2000s, is mm-hmm. the movie Empire Records. hmm So Empire Records qualifies in a big way because uh, it was such a box office bomb. like. hmm I've, I don't know if anybody saw this in the theater. I'm not even sure if I saw it in the theater. I can't remember. I might have because I was watching a lot of movies then. Um, mm-hmm. But the budget for this film was $10 million and the box office was $303,000. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is rough, man. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, But what's so bizarre about this, of course, is that it's just starring so many stars.
2: Mm-hmm. Like-
1: People that have become stars since, um, people that you know, kind of had a, a little bit of of star power at the time. Um, it, it's it's kind of wild. Uh, so total bomb, um, but it became this like underground thing. Certainly with with sort of teens uh, at at you know my age when it came out. Well, I guess I was just twenty when it came out, but you know that that early sort of people in their twenties and really empire records feels like an internet movie
2: like <laughs>
1: so not only did a few people start to see it and vhs and people kept sort of sharing it the the i would say it was the soundtrack more than anything yes that really pushed this movie into cult fandom and into being some sort of a success cuz the the soundtrack is incredible and has a number of bands i'm sure part I, maybe 5-6 million dollars of their 10 million dollar budget might have gone to <laughs> the soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, we've got Evan Dando, Toad the Wet Sprocket, The Gin Blossoms, the Cranberries. Like these were bands that were better than Ezra. They were pretty big at the time. So mm-hmm. it was kind of what plus a bunch of other songs that they used because of course Empire Records is a you know it was a a independent uh record store that all of these teenagers worked at. Uh, Anthony La Paglia played the the manager who was kind of like their pseudo father because most of these kids being teens in the 90s had issues.
2: <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know,
1: he he sort of coached them through life and this is uh what happens when they they suddenly realize that oh, their their, you know, beloved workplace that they care so much about and of course it's Gen X in the 90s like damn the man, save the mm. empire. uh <laughs> corporate everything sucks. So when they realize they're about to be bought out by a franchise, they they rally together to, to save the record store for their boss. Um, and then, of course, the internet loves this movie. Many, many memes come from this, but uh, Rex Manning Day comes along every single year. And mm-hmm. believe me, there's not a single Rex Manning Day that I don't see it all over the internet. It's been Let's see, 95, almost 20 years since this movie came out and people are still celebrating Rex Manning Day, which Mm -hmm.
2: was
1: the day that this aging pop star came to their record store to do a, like, (laughs) one of those, you know, almost like a mall show. (gasps) Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. And
1: yet we continue to celebrate Rex Manning Day every year.
0: It's very important. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Also, so the, uh, the movie itself was cut terribly and whole like characters and storylines were actually taken out of it. I actually have two copies of this on DVD. Um and I have uh, a copy that has all of the extra footage like added into it so you can watch the whole movie as it was meant to be watched. It's almost mm. like 20 minutes of extra footage. And so that was released in 2003, hence the fact that this is a 21st century cult film. That's my it's my argument.
0: I see. Yeah, there's a lot of that in cult movies that you know they they get butchered in the editing room and uh come out and but you know people sort of see the diamond in the rough and if you're lucky you get that you know the director's cut or whatever later on sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't um my 2000s pick is actually very similar i think a lot of people uh to a lot of people the 90s officially ended on april 11th 2001 which is when josie and the pussycats came out Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm, that's what i expected
0: (laughs) and yeah no it's a great movie it's a great satire of the music industry at the time teen pop uh the the imperial nature speaking of empire of of the record industry all that came sort of crashing down trl carson daly has a cameo maybe partially related to the fact he was dating one of the stars tara reed at the time maybe just because he was kind of the ubiquitous dick clarkish face of the turn of the century music scene um but still it's 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 funny it's it's got some real pointed commentary it's uh technically i guess it's technically a comic movie based on josie and the Pussycats or archie comics Mm -hmm. um a lot of great actors in it like also kind of like a lot of actors who kind of went away after like they didn't go away but you know kind of started fading like rachel lee cook and tara reed and uh meyer had a was one of the boy members of the boy band in it uh parker posey of course indie darling of the 90s parker posey played one of the record company um bad guys in it uh mr movie phone jokes um you know, that's talk about pre-internet. Um, yeah, it's 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 just it's it's definitely leaving a mark of a time at a place um, that it's. You probably don't detect the savage satire of it now if you you know um, grew up in a post Napster, post iTunes world. Um, but uh, at the time, I think people really kind of underestimated just how. Savage as satire this was like the this was like the player for pop music at the turn of the century or um the producers like i I think it's kind of that savage it's just because it's about a a girl band who wears cat ears i think people kind of underestimated it at the time (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't what people expected
1: yeah so let's just put it that way i will admit that i have never seen this movie And while I've been trying to see the movie for a very long time, it is very hard to find because it is streaming nowhere.
0: Well, you should have a a DVD like me.
1: I should. It's true.
0: (laughs) Lesson of the day is have a DVD. Um, That's easier said than done. And uh, it's also easier said than done to try and wrangle a bear that's high on cocaine. And we'll talk about that after the break. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. She
2: was the driven snow connected
0: to my mind. And now I'm having fun, baby. It's getting kind of low. Cause it makes you feel
2: so nice.
0: I need some one-on-one, baby. Don't
2: let it blow your mind away. Baby. And go deal in the highway. Cause white lies.
0: Magic crystals painted pure and white. A multi million dollars almost overnight. Twice as sweet as sugar.
2: Twice as- Where is it? Hi! Hey. <laughs> what should I do? Oh! Oh
0: ah.
2: Ah. 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 There's something wrong with it. Yeah, I told you there was. Why is it acting like this? Did you feed it cocaine? No, but you're safe. Bears can't climb trees. Of course they can. Then why are you up here?
0: (sighs) Okay, that was a clip from Cocaine Bear. It's the new film from Elizabeth Banks, and it stars... Kerry Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Alden Wright, Brooklyn Prince, Christian Convery, Isaac Whitlock Jr., Margot Martindale, and I'm sorry, the late great Ray Liotta in his final screen performance. I think, um, I think
1: actually he has another one more yet to come out.
0: Does he have one more in a tank? That's good. This this, this could this this was definitely like oh. tra- Transformers the movie territory for Ray Liotta.
1: Yeah, upcoming actually three films.
0: Okay, good. I feel better now.
1: Um... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he was pretty Ray Liotta in this film. Like, what a, a he. You know, he came to prominence for most of us as a you know as a good fella. So mm. this was a uh, was a nice it was a nice cap on that career.
0: If you say so. But uh, what are your thoughts about Cocaine Bear more generally? <laughs>
1: More generally. So I watched it. And mm-hmm. as I sat there after the film, I said, oh, I understand why people are really struggling with this movie. Mm-hmm. Because the trailer tells you that you're going to walk in and you're going to see this. Mm-hmm. And that's not actually what the movie delivers at all. Um, and I actually, l- I liked what the movie delivered. And I preferred what the movie delivered to what the trailer promised it was going to give, because to me, when I watched that that trailer, I was like, "Okay, so this is basically like Sharknado, where they're trying, they're setting out to make mm-hmm. a bad B movie, a bad creature feature. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. These never work. Sharknado is not a well done movie mm-hmm. <laughs> because they tried on purpose to be bad, and uh, so it just ended up not good." Uh, so, I kind of figured that's what was going to happen with Cocaine Bear. As it turned out, they actually made a real movie. But the trailer <laughs> told you it was going to be something else. So, Megan and Thregan delivered exactly what the trailer said it was going to deliver,
2: mm-hmm. which is
1: why I loved it. Because I was like, great, I want to see this. That's what I got. This movie, Yeah. Yeah, this movie did not deliver what was in the trailer. So a lot of people are, are upset by that because either they wanted what was in the tra- trailer or they maybe went in like me and went, oh, ugh, this is going to be terrible. And they're like, oh, it's not like a terrible, ridiculous thing. It's it's okay. And so then now they're just like, I don't, I don't really know what to do with this. What am I supposed to do with a really well-acted movie about a sympathetic bear?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I, I saw that trailer too, and I was like, "This is it." I don't want this to be what they're selling it to be, but I also don't like this. Like, I went into this like actively, like thinking to myself, "Like, this has to really do something to impress me." And I walked out of the movie, sort of like the more I thought about it, like kind of like actively hating it more and more. It's. Uh, that a lot of that's tapered off since then. So and so I, I now I'm just like really kind of disappointed in it. Like, first of all, um, there are too many characters. <laughs> way too many characters. Um, there was literally a point where I was like following, I think it was the, the Yoshi Jackson Alden Wright character following them around the woods, and then we cut back to Carrie Russell and the kids, and I was like, Oh yeah, there's a whole subplot with this mom and the kids. Uh, I had completely forgotten about in like the five minutes between scenes uh uh the, the kids in this movie get them out uh no kids uh I don't I i this is not the movie for for you know uh the Tim and Lex you know the, those <laughs> those archetype characters <laughs> get yeah. get them out um it, it, you know and at the end not to spoil anything but uh too many people walk out of that wood for my liking at the end uh there are not enough people leaving in body bags after all this is over um that that i kind of found particularly irksome and and, you know speaking of like things shot in the dark that look bad uh the whole climax takes place at night behind a waterfall it looks rancid it looks horrible um and and uh, you know here's the thing about it too like i think elizabeth banks is a good director she's really good at like staging some scenes um like the movie looks really really good uh there's a scene where carrie russell's like hiding behind a tree and you know the bear is around and and that's really good staging the staging is good but there's no tension in that scene and that's another thing i found kind of brutalist brutalistic about this movie too is just that it just feels like there's no tension the laughs were marginal but there's also no tension either it feels like it just can't do either of the things it wants to do very very well and
1: that's kind of the
0: most disappointing of all this
1: yeah and so um uh, i i both agree with you and disagree with you uh so (laughs) i do agree that i think like i sat there at the end As they were at the climax, Mm -hmm. and I didn't mind having the two young people. I actually Mm -hmm. really liked Carrie Russell's storyline as the mom finding her (laughs) daughter and her daughter's friend. Um, I really liked that. I also really liked the storyline with um, uh, whatever, David is the only one whose actual name... (laughs)
0: Eddie and David. Cast yeah. name
1: I remember. Eddie. Yeah. I really like that storyline as well. And I think that they actually interacted very well. Because as I'm watching it at the end, I was like, actually, this is a pretty good like kind of family movie where we're being taught about like, you know, we're being told about what a parent's love is supposed to be and how a parent is supposed to like uh, you know, mm-hmm. save. Like or protect your family, and you get over your own stuff, mm-hmm. and you do your job. And there's actually a really good sort of message in here. And this could be a good family film, except that at the front end they put in a bunch of like gore that wasn't even all that gory. Like I kept, I yeah. was like, this this could be a PG-13 thing. You could be bringing kids to this. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. There was some gore that was that amounted to nothing because almost all of the gore was played up for comedy. Which to me makes it not gory; it just makes it funny. Like, and,
0: and it's all ugly because it's all CG too.
1: Yeah, yeah, and like none of it is actually gory. It's all funny, like it's yeah. it's comedic gore. So I'm like, I I think you could just have kids watching this movie, and they could be like, Hey, this is cool. These two kids and the mom, and hey, like, you know, I I really liked the story between mm-hmm. you know Ray Liotta and uh, you know his son Alden Ehrenreich eddie and how the two of them have to like you know get Mm. like either decide to be father and son or decide not to be father and son and how eddie has to get over his own like sadness because his wife passes (sighs) away the mother of his own kid and actually go oh okay i've got to go like Mm -hmm. you know be a parent and then like to me there was a lot of heart to this movie Yeah. Shouldn't have been, maybe shouldn't have been there because people didn't want that out of this. I liked it. Like, because I went in, I was like, I'm probably going to dislike this because it's going to be like a Sharknado type thing. And so I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, actually, they made a real movie with like heart and story and characters and like arcs. And then the other thing is that the actual bear itself, and Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm okay with this decision. But again this is why people aren't liking the movie it's cuz the bear is a sympathetic character <laughs> the whole time yeah. you're like this poor yeah. bear and the reality is is that in the real story cuz this is sort of based on on a bit of news yeah. um where uh, like cocaine was thrown out over a you know a wooded area and a bear found it and died and so the bear in this is never ever made to be like A monster really the whole time you're just watching it going this poor bear is just like trying to live his life and now all of us humans are dropping cocaine on it and making it unwell Mm -hmm. and like getting in the way and all this sort of stuff and of course you know they make it uh, a female bear and she's got cubs and so you're rooting you're not i mean i don't know if you're rooting for the bear because I don't, I also don't think you were rooting for it to necessarily kill the majority of the characters who are the bulk of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then up at the beginning, there was just a bunch of. I agree that there were too many characters because there was a bunch of people introduced so that they could be killed. But yet at and the then same they're time, they're not killed. <laughs> Well, but the, that that they were though, like or
0: not killed by the bear. Like, there's entire no, yeah, there's and entire the portions like, of this. I'm like, where's Cocaine Bear? I came to a movie yeah. to see Cocaine Bear. There's no Cocaine Bear. Where? Why am I sitting here waiting for Cocaine Bear and checking my watch and going, oh, it's been yeah. thirty minutes since I've seen Cocaine Bear.
1: And again, I found all of that I did find funny, <laughs> but should have been in a different movie. So this is the problem, right? They, it much like Big Meteor. They had two movies, and they just kind of put it all together. And it's like they had, like, okay, here's a story about this bear, and it's sympathetic, and it's all about family, and all about you know what you do to protect your family. Okay, great, we got this story. Oh, but we need some comedy in this. Okay, let's just hire a bunch of other people who are totally unrelated to everything here, and give them a bunch of funny stuff to do.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a a good point. There are, like, several competing movies going on like the 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 one with eddie and david and eddie's father like that's like coen brothers territory it's like we're idiot criminals um doing idiot crimes and you know we're on this pointless mission that is going to get us arrested or killed we don't know what and and then you have this jurassic park story with the, the mother searching for her daughter um then you have like you know this other story with the park ranger who's like killed three different times pretty much um it's and, and then the, yeah the, the whole thing with the bear being sympathetic i i what's interesting is the there are times that the whole thing about the bear being treat, bear, bear the bear and you know the bear ends up addicted to cocaine essentially um that's played for laughs, but it's also played for like this sympathetic angle. That's like, look what you know, man versus nature and man's effect on nature and, and all that stuff. And it's like, I need you to pick a lane here. Either the bear is sympathetic, or it's funny, or it's crazy, or it's like we're doing a like a cujo kind of thing, where or, or or like a Popeye thing. Like there's literally a Popeye sequence where um a cook a, a thing of cocaine rips and it goes over the air and it literally like activates the bear. It's it, 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 <laughs> it, 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 it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta choose one of these. And if you want to make it a, like about, you know, the allegory and, and the metaphor about, you know, being out in the woods and having a horrible effect on these bears, like by all means, but like at the same time, don't show me, you know, stuff of like the bear doing Yogi bear stuff, like scratching its back on the tree. It's I, I, I'm just, I, I, it, the tone is like wildly confusing at different times. And, and, and none of it lines up with, as we've said, the thing that's shown to us in the trailer, this goofy, um, laughy, you know, stuff where people are screaming cocaine bear at the top of their lungs every five seconds. Like I, the first time the kid, one of the kids says cocaine bear, it, it's it's kind of just like dropped it's not the needle drop it's it's supposed to be and and in fact like the scene before that where you think you're going to get that needle drop or the kid's going to be like it's a cocaine bear or something like that it completely misses it um so again i like i don't know i don't know what was kind of going on in in the the, the production process of this where he, also i'm i've never been a cocaine user but for the love of Jeff, like lean into the, like, this is the eighties lean into the cocaine, like to have the, the, to have the kids like going, Oh, how, how do people do cocaine? You eat it. Oh, okay. Like, come on. Like, they I haven't know, we watched didn't even TV. get to see
1: them like actually, because they, they certainly ingested some of that cocaine, Yeah, even yeah. though they ate it. Th- that's still going to take effect. We didn't get to see it take effect on the kids. <laughs> Maybe yeah. we shouldn't be seeing that, well but... i
0: mean if, if the message is cocaine bad i mean and they also played like the old all the old like this is your brain on drugs ads at the beginning which mm-hmm. you know s- helps sets a tone but it, you know it, it would also play into the idea if this like if this is a message movie but if you're if we're going to be on the message track of this which is cocaine bad i want to see somebody do some cocaine that's all i'm saying <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> um so uh yeah, like I said, I actually like this film. I I thought it was good, but I thought it was very different from what was um, marketed. But I do want to talk about two very t- two things I really really liked about this movie. All right. Uh, and so one was casting uh, Alden uh, Ehrenreich as Ray Liotta's son. I was just like, oh my god, this seems so obvious. That's like, pretty good.
0: That's pretty good. Oh
1: yeah, it was great. And like the outfit he was wearing with the like the windbreaker he just he felt so 19 eras ray leota i was like wow screw this han solo thing (laughs) don't do that like do this just play ray leota play young ray leota in every film ray Liotta's ever been in and Mm -hmm. i would watch this because it was great even though he (laughs) didn't really because he was a far more sensitive (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> than Ray Liot has been in a lot of his characters, but he just, they look so much alike. I was like, whoa, this is wild. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the other thing that I thought was absolutely great and potentially the best thing about this movie is the score by Mark uh, Mothersbaugh. Yes. Um, yes. From, he's from Devo, I think, right? Yeah. Um, oh my God. It was great. From the, like, it opens with this synthy, like, hoppy sort of sound i was like whoa we're really like going straight into the 80s and there of course we see score by mark Mothersbaugh, Mar and i was like oh yeah that makes sense well done mm-hmm. yep Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah uh wes anderson really hasn't been the same since he stopped using Mothersbaugh. um yeah it, it's the score is one of the best parts let say i i will check mark alden aaron Wright as well i like i like the, the dynamic with him and o'shea jackson mm-hmm. i thought they were a lot of fun together um I also like this is like tacitly an Americans reunion with Martindale and (laughs) Carrie Russell and and Matthew Reese is like the guy in the plane. Who's like throwing the haphazardly throwing the, the bags of cocaine off the plane.
1: I mean, he was clearly on Coke when he was doing that.
0: I'm just, I'm, I'm so curious about how Matthew Reese ended up in a cameo in cocaine bear and (laughs) Carrie Russell has something to do with that. But um yeah, it, 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 again, like that whole that first scene though, where it's, I think, which, which what band is it? It's, it's like a, it's like a '80s hair rock song, but he's just like throwing these bags willy nilly off the plane, and it's like, okay, we're getting into it, and then, Wemo, we're getting into like domestic stuff at Carrie Russell's house, and we're getting into you know sad Alden Aaron Wright, and uh, police politics, and there's like double crosses, <laughs> and it's just. I what I want this movie to be is Ray Liotta sends Eddie and David into the woods to recover the c- cocaine. They meet some characters, they find cocaine bear, cocaine bear starts killing people. And, like just that straightforward. That's all I need.
1: That's that's all this needed. You want Anaconda but with a cocaine bear.
0: Sure, that sounds about right. Um, and if we could get John Voight in there doing some bizarre accent uh, as like a hunter or something, that wouldn't be so bad to me um, but it's 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 just it, it, the tone is all over the place um, I'm very glad this is a hit um, in that it's like showing, you know, money people in studios that like you can put out something called Cocaine Bear and it could suck and it can still make money, so like let's put some money into more original stuff that might not suck, but um. Yeah i i I wish i I wish I could be more high on this movie, so to speak. But <laughs> I just there, there's there's so much going on that it just seems like um, nobody really put too much thought into in, into what tone they wanted to strike, and then it ended up in the hands of the guys that made trailers, and they're like, "Oh, I know this is Snakes on a Plane," which Snakes on a Plane actually I would rank this higher because they went in and tried to punch it up and make it campier but they made a, they they made a serious movie called Snakes on a Plane and then the internet got a hold of it and you know stuff happened but it you know at least that had a basis for for that they could build off of there is no base on on this it's just a bunch of stuff they threw together it is a literal well not a literal but it is another big meat eater uh if if we're <laughs> going to create that subgenre <laughs>
1: <laughs> the too many movies smashed into one. Yes. This is,
0: yes, this is a big meat eater, if there ever was one. And there <laughs> was, because we just talked about it. Um, but anyway, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. If you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website, ncredits show.com You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday on Podbean, or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher Google, TuneIn and Spotify. When you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on N Credits. Just open up Spotify and find N Credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at N Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at N Credits Radio. And Candice, where can people get high with you on the internet this week?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I won't be getting high on the internet, but uh, if you do want to just watch my boring old, same old <laughs> stuff, you can... Uh... Follow me, SIN48, uh, C-I-N-N-4-8, uh, on every platform there is. And uh, I think I have a few podcasts coming out this week. I think both the uh, Village podcast and maybe uh, a Star Trek podcast are coming out this week. Uh, maybe next week. I don't really remember. Time. Who knows? But uh, follow me, and you will catch those when I, air- when I put them out.
0: There you go. Time is a flat circle, and... Speaking of that, we'll be back here. Well, I'll be back here tomorrow at 5 p.m. for News and Politics and Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. And you can check out my News and Politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I shall return and the show shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. with another edition of End Credits. And we will see you then.